Reporting in progress. Hey everyone, we're gonna go ahead and get started. Um, I'm Stacy Woods, and on behalf of the Fresno Madera Medical Society, welcome to tonight's discussion on vaccine confidence. We appreciate you making the time for this important discussion. Um, I'd like to thank Pastor Bryson White at Faith in Fresno and Pastor DJ Kreiner of St. Rest Baptist Church for helping us to get the invitation for tonight out to as many local clergy as possible. I'd also like to thank Fresno County Department of Public Health, uh, not only for their willingness to join us tonight to present this valuable information and lead the conversation, but for their tireless efforts to ensure the health of our community. Our local public health team and our local physicians have worked around the clock since the first hours of this pandemic, and for this we are incredibly grateful. Tonight we will be discussing COVID-19 vaccines, vaccine misinformation, how to host a vaccine clinic on your campus, the resources available, what COVID looks like from the front line, and the role of religious leaders in the health of our community. We have all been attending Zoom meetings for well over a year now, so I'm pretty confident that you all know what to do. Uh, if you have questions, please feel free to type them into the chat or unmute your mic and ask them in person when appropriate. We'll begin tonight with updated information from public health, so please welcome Dr. Johns Weifler. Well, thank you very much, Stacy, and thanks to President Madera Medical Society for organizing this and uh, my colleagues with the Fresno County Department of Public Health and uh, to Pastor Kreiner and Dr. Reutman uh, for participating in this discussion as well, and particularly to the participants for, uh, for listening uh, to hear more about vaccines and what we can do to make our communities uh, uh, safer Why against COVID. So yes, this is Zoom. So, um, so uh, next slide, please. So I was going to talk about vaccines, and uh, just as a uh, in, by way of background, so uh, what do vaccines do? Uh, well, uh, vaccines help us prepare for infections before we actually get sick. Uh, so our body recognizes um, uh, when something is foreign inside our body. Uh, that's why it's so hard to transplant organs, and why we have to give medications to to um, suppress the immune response. Uh, it's also why individuals who are immunocompromised for whatever reason uh, tend to not respond as, as well to, um, to immunizations uh, because the, the, uh, the vaccines rely on, on our Im, uh, immune system uh, to, uh, to develop a response to, uh, to the various uh, vaccines. Uh, so it does this in, in two basic ways. Uh, our body can uh, produce uh, uh, antibodies from what are called B cells. Uh, and so the antibodies, you can measure antibodies. Um, uh, you can also measure the antigens, which the body responds to. So those are the basis of the rapid antigen tests and some of the other PCR tests that we see out there. Um, but another type of response uh, that, that also the body generates is what's called a delayed cellular immunity response, which is uh, uh, created by T cells, which are another type of the immune response. These are a little trickier to uh, to measure, so we don't have, have tests of that currently. Uh, there are tests that can measure antibodies, uh, uh, but both the B cells and the T cells are key parts of our, uh, the way our body recognizes something that's foreign, uh, uh, builds, uh, cre creates the, uh, uh, defenses against that uh, and, um, and prepares us uh, for the next time we see that, that same type of, um, 
uh, foreign, uh, foreign body. Next slide, please. So there's a variety of different types of vaccines, but they all operate on the same principle. And that is to introduce some, a, the foreign, uh, 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 a foreign particle into the body so that the body will then react to it. Uh, and when you look at some of the earliest vaccines uh, and some extremely successful ones, uh, uh, they were based on what are called live attenuated vaccines, where you introduced a virus that had been, uh, had been uh, modified so it wasn't as, uh, as virulent, uh, but the, the body would then react to it and build up the immune response to it. Uh, and as a result, we have eliminated smallpox from, from, uh, from, the, uh, from the earth. Uh, polio is extremely rare, fortunately, as is measles. So uh, uh, some real success stories in what vaccines, uh, live vaccines can do. Uh, there's also, as it pertains to COVID, uh, there's a couple different types of vaccines. Uh, one of the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine relies on a, a a type of vaccine that's been used before where they basically take a piece of the, oh, yeah. the COVID virus and they uh, introduce it to the body uh, through another, uh, another virus of, or a more of a benign virus, which the body then reacts to that, the COVID, the COVID component uh, and creates the immune response. Uh, the, the vaccine that is the newest uh, is the, what are known as the mRNA vaccines. And, uh, so that's a newer technology that has implications for a wide range of, 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 uh, of uh, medical issues uh, and a, a very promising uh, technology to, to uh, address, a, a, again, a range of, of, of illnesses. Uh, but in this case, it's being used to um, have the body generate uh, components of the, uh, of the virus so that the, the body can then react to it. Uh, so, and we'll speak a little bit more about um, uh, that technology in a minute. Uh, but the, both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are, are, mRNA, are based on this mRNA uh, uh, technology. Um, and we'll, uh, as I said, we'll speak a little bit more about that in a minute. Next slide, please. So uh, I want to turn to uh, vaccine safety. So I know this is a, a, an important issue for, um, for many. Uh, and the... Uh, all of the uh, all vaccines go through a very rigorous process overseen by the FDA. Uh, uh, the uh, there's a standard process that all vaccines go through, in which all of the uh, the COVID vaccines went through as well. So it starts with animal studies. So you try it on small mammals and and uh, 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 check the, their responses. Uh, if uh, it seems to be working in uh, not not causing major side effects. Uh, in the animals, it goes to phase uh, one, uh, one and two trials. Uh, these are uh, very small trials uh, where you start with just a few healthy individuals uh, and you're looking mainly at the side effects. You wanna see, make sure that the, the vaccine is not causing major problems for, the part, uh, for those who receive it. The, uh, you're also looking to see if the body is responding the way it's supposed to. So we say that we talked about the immune response, the B cells and the T cells, uh, they'll measure those, uh, those antibody responses to, uh, and uh, uh, check it against different vaccine uh, levels, so the different doses to see what seems to be uh, generating the, the most uh, vigorous uh, immune response. Uh, then it goes on to phase three, and phase three involves tens of thousands of participants, both a control group, uh, which are those who actually receive the vaccine, as well as a placebo group, which are individuals who don't receive the vaccine. 
Uh, and so, so again, tens of thousands of individuals uh, are studied and followed over approximately a six month uh, period. Uh, and here we're looking in phase three, you're looking to see whether the vaccine actually works. Uh, so you compare your control group, those who receive the vaccine to those who did not, and you can look at what are, uh, how, uh, how effective was it in preventing, in this case, uh, COVID. Uh, so uh, the, this is what the process that all vaccines go through. Uh, this is the, the, um, these are the exact steps that the, uh, each of the COVID vaccines went through as well. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, there, there's an ongoing process of uh, vaccine adverse effect reporting. So uh, as clinicians, if we see someone who has a side effect related to a, to a COVID vaccine, uh, we're expected to report that to, uh, to the FDA. Uh, patients also can directly report their complications. So there's an ongoing process of not only looking at side effects of those individuals who uh, participated in the trials, uh, as well as any of them who were involved, um, who had to receive medical care related to the vaccine, uh, on to those who have serious adverse effects, uh, which they're continuously monitoring, uh, as well as um, a, a continuous review of these um, of, of adverse effects that are reported through the vaccine adverse effect reporting system. Next slide, please. So I wanna turn, uh, to the COVID uh, vaccines, the uh, COVID-19 vaccines themselves. Uh, so you've probably all seen those pictures of the globe with those, uh, those little spikes coming out of them. Uh, so that, uh, the, those spikes uh, are what the, the, the COVID virus uh, uh, um, vaccines focus on. Uh, so either you're taking, uh, in the case of Johnson Johnson, you're, you're introducing that that an element of that uh, spike protein, attaching it to another virus and introducing it to the body, uh, or in the case of the mRNA uh, vaccines, you're at, you, what you do is you, you introduce a piece of the RNA, which is the genetic material that tells your, your body how to, how to reproduce, uh, reproduce cells. The, um, uh, uh, the mRNA component that's introduced has the, uh, uh, has the, uh, the signals and the message for how to how to generate that spike protein. Uh, so rather than relying on uh, introducing the spike protein, it tells the body how to produce that spike protein. So in this case, you inject the vaccine into the muscle, the muscle then generates, uh, uh, starts to create those, uh, those spike proteins that the body then responds to uh, and causes the, the reactions that, um, that you get when you have uh, um, received the vaccine. So the, the, um, the COVID vaccine is uh, indicated pretty much for everyone over the age of uh, uh, 12 years old, at least in the case of Pfizer, uh, for uh, Johnson & Johnson and Moderna, it's uh, 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 18 and over. Uh, the, um, uh, there's really uh, no contraindications except for having had an allergic reaction to, to the COVID vaccine. Uh, so uh, the, the COVID vaccines uh, have a, a, a wide range of indications uh, and very few uh, contraindications. Uh, and I did want to comment that, you know, a lot, there's been a lot of concern about, geez, well, how did this happen so fast? And uh, it wasn't um, the, uh, the, so some of us uh, remember this, uh, the SARS uh, pandemic that occurred several years ago and how, how scary that was. Uh, the SARS vaccine, the, excuse me, the SARS uh, virus is a type of coronavirus, uh, as is the COVID-19 virus. 
uh, a lot of work was done with SARS uh, to, to, uh, to better understand coronaviruses. Uh, and so when COVID came around, a lot, there'd been a lot of work, years of work that had been put into understanding coronaviruses, understanding those spike proteins, uh, so that when the COVID, so when COVID hit, they were able to quickly uh, utilize the, the information that had been learned in addressing SARS and better understanding coronaviruses and, and better uh, in, in knowing how to utilize um, uh, mRNA to, to generate uh, uh, the, the spike protein. So all of that contributed to the ability to rapidly produce the, um, uh, the uh, mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. Next slide, please. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what are some of the uh, uh, adverse reactions that can occur. Uh, and that those, re those um, uh, range from mild uh, side effects to those that are, that are much more serious. Uh, so it's pretty common in the range of 30 to 40% to have uh, some local symptoms. Uh, so you can imagine you're injecting that, uh, you're injecting the uh, foreign body into your, into your body, your, and your immune system does what it's supposed to do. It attacks it with its, uh, uh, by uh, generating the uh, antibodies. Uh, and uh, so you'll get, uh, can get soreness and redness uh, at, uh, uh, at the site of, of the injection. Uh, so that shows that your immune system is working. Uh, you also can get more systemic uh, uh, symptoms. So as part of the immune response, it also, your body releases various uh, 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 chemicals uh, that uh, help fight infections. Uh, so you can have fever, headache, and fatigue. Uh, those generally resolve within a day or two. So if they persist longer than a couple of days and we wanna make sure that, 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 it's a co that it's a reaction and not something else. Uh, you probably have also heard that there's some serious uh, uh, side effects that, uh, have, uh, that have occurred uh, and can occur. Uh, and starting from the bottom, the one that, uh, that we were uh, uh, concerned about from the beginning is anaphylaxis, which is a overwhelming allergic reaction. Uh, where it, uh, you have trouble breathing, uh, and uh, uh, so you need to have epinephrine available, similar to uh, uh, to uh, folks who have allergies to bee stings. Uh, and uh, so there, so whenever you're uh, administering the COVID vaccine, you're expected to have uh, epinephrine available to uh, to address a, an anaphylactic reaction if it does uh, it does occur. But fortunately, very very rare. Uh, then, since I'm starting from the bottom, I'll keep going up. Uh, a a rel relatively recent um, uh, a side effect that's been identified is myocarditis. Uh, myocarditis is inflammation of the muscle of the heart. Uh, and there have been cases identified, particularly in young adult males uh, who have received the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine. Uh, fortunately, no one has, uh, has died from this, uh, from this complication. Uh, and uh, the vast majority have gotten better. Uh, the, uh, the coronavirus itself uh, uh, also can trigger uh, a, um, an inflammatory response. And so it can trigger an inflammatory response in, in the heart. Uh, and in fact, if you have uh, kids who are athletes, you probably remember that they had a cardiac evaluation uh, uh, when they were, uh, uh, as, as part of their, as part of their participation in sports, uh, for anyone who did develop uh, COVID uh, uh, and was participating in the NCAAs uh, was expected to go through a cardiac evaluation 
after after their COVID infection, because there were reports, uh, and there have have been re uh, reports and cases of myocarditis uh, in individuals with COVID, uh, and uh, so it's not it's not entirely surprising that we're seeing some of this uh, as a result of the of the vaccine uh, as well, but in numbers that are uh, far less than than in um, than with COVID itself. Uh, and then the final uh, uh, final complication I wanted to touch on was uh, this syndrome of uh, 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 thrombosis with thrombocytopenia, uh, which is um, uh, can cause blood clots uh, and has caused uh, there has there's a probable uh, causal relationship between COVID vaccine uh, and the thrombosis and and uh, the the blood clots and the low platelets, um, uh, uh, so a very serious complication. But again. Uh, this is a complication that we've seen in individuals who get COVID. Uh, we've seen uh, strokes and uh, um, hemorrhages and uh, embolus, uh, which are blood clots, in, uh, uh, is, is a commonly recognized uh, complication uh, of COVID. So again, it's not surprising that a vaccine that, that, uh, that a, a triggers an immune response uh, and the virus itself, which also triggers an a, a immune response, that we see that there's some uh, overlap uh, in, in those complications, but fortunately, extremely, uh, uh, extremely rare. Uh, so uh, next slide, please. Uh, I wanted to turn now and talk about COVID-19 vaccines and uh, pregnancy. Uh, and uh, so the, when the COVID vaccines were rolled out, they, the uh, uh, Pregnant women were not specifically included in the studies, but some women have become uh, pregnant and uh, uh, and have and have uh, have received the vaccine. So uh, as of uh, now, we know that over 100,000 uh, pregnant women have re have received the vaccine. Uh, and uh, uh, what we found there was a recent study in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is kind of the gold standard for uh, uh, for medical research. Uh, and, and they found that when they looked at, uh, at individuals who were pregnant who got the vaccine and compared those to individuals who were not pregnant, that there was no difference in, uh, in adverse uh, outcomes. Uh, what we also know as well is that if you're pregnant and do get COVID, that you are more likely to, be, to end up in the ICU. So, uh, and you could speculate why that is. You know, you're, you've got, uh, it, um, if you're pregnant, it reduces your, your, your uh, respiratory capacity. Uh, and uh, uh, so you're, uh, you're more prone to, for more serious infection. Uh, uh, and uh, as a result of that, the American College of Obstetricians and uh, Gynecologists has come out and, and stated that they strongly recommend that all eligible uh, uh, persons receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, next slide, please. And then uh, finally, uh, just uh, so we've got this vaccine, is it working? And well, as a matter of fact, it's working extremely well. Um, uh, so we, uh, uh, there's, you look at the different vaccines and there's different uh, uh, rates of reductions uh, in terms of actual cases. Uh, but if you look at the most serious complications and you look at people who are hospitalized, very impressive reductions in the range of 95, 98% uh, uh, reductions uh, in hospitalizations. Uh, 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 we're also concerned because we know that there's variants out there, uh, uh, and what we've seen is that the the uh, vaccines have been effective at least so far. There is a concern about that with the Delta vaccine, uh, and uh, so we'll we'll have to 
uh, keep our fingers crossed on that. Uh, in terms of, do we need a booster shot uh, uh, to like similar to um, uh, every year we get a flu shot every year or say with uh, um, uh, uh, measles, you'll get a initial series and then you'll get a, bo a booster later. Um, right now, we don't see the need for that. The vaccine, again, has been incredibly effective, and we've seen um, that it's continued to, uh, to prevent infection, so we have not needed to, to, have, a, um, to, to have boosters yet. Uh, if, if there's uh, increased issues with uh, variants, we might, uh, that might um, become a reality in the future. Uh, as far as uh, uh, we talked about who was eligible. Uh, it's, um, you know, you're 12 and over. So, but th that age is going down. There's ongoing tests so that uh, children younger uh, than 12 will be eligible to, for the vaccine, uh, which is great news. As you know, vaccines are already, already given to kids, some, some you know, when, when, at birth. So there's nothing uh, inherently uh, wrong with, uh, with giving vaccines to, to uh, little children, to, to uh, infants and children. Uh, so uh, the bottom line is uh, uh, COVID-19 has not changed. It is still out there. It is still transmitted respiratorily. It's in our community. Uh, there's that, the, the, there are significant serious variants out there. Our best defense to, uh, to make sure that we don't get sick and our families and our communities don't get sick is for all of us to get uh, vaccinated. So with that, I'm going to stop and turn it over to uh, my friend and colleague, uh, uh, Dr. Robin Lynchide, who family physician, had been involved with uh, leadership roles with the California Academy of Family Physicians. Uh, she does it all. Uh, it's, uh, it takes care of a full spectrum of patients, including doing obstetrics. Uh, and uh, so anyway, Dr. Lynchide uh, is going to talk about COVID-19 vaccine misinformation. Thank you, Dr. Zweitler. Um, yeah, as, as Dr. Zweitler mentioned, I work, um, I'm working part-time um, with Fresno County Department of Public Health, but I also work full-time at Fresno Women's Medical Group uh, and deliver babies and see infants at Clovis Community. Um, so I do a broad spectrum uh, or full spectrum family medicine. Um, so uh, next slide. Um, and um, I also um, am um, grew up as a Mennonite and am still a part of my Mennonite um, church congregation here in Fresno. Um, so as a physician, my faith um, and my involvement as a, um, in my Mennonite faith is very important to my work. Um, and when I think about vaccines and why I was vaccinated, um, I, what came to mind was um, the uh, verse uh, Matthew 25, 40, which talks about protecting the least and most vulnerable in our community. Um, in the New International Version of the Bible, it says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so for me, um, I chose very early on to get the vaccine because I know that I cared for people who had COVID, COVID infection. Um, and I have uh, young children. I have um, older parents. Um, I have patients who are newborns and who are pregnant and who are immunocompromised. 
And so as part of my responsibility as a physician, um, I feel like it's important to um, protect um, all those around me. And so that's, that's really what vaccines speak to is protecting the community um, and also protecting the least of us because there are some people who can't be vaccinated or especially early on could not be. Um, fortunately, now we have wide access to vaccines. Um, and so that's not as much an, of an issue. Um, but I recently came across an article um, in the Journal of American Medical Association from a Dr. Lindsay Ryan, who um, works at UCSF in San Francisco. Um, and she is one of those who is um, very vulnerable and has an um, autoimmune disease that puts her immune system um, or that suppresses her immune system um, because she has to take medications. Um, for her to function um, that suppress that immune response. Um, the, the title of the article, and I put a link at the end um, on my slides, is called Vaccinated But Not Protected, Living Immunocompromised During a Pandemic. So she did get vaccinated, but she knows her immune system cannot produce these um, antibodies um, to that spike protein and protect her. So she has had to severely modify um, her work um, her, um, her, her lifestyle outside of work. Um, she has to continue to wear N95 protective masks um, and limit her contact because she does not have the um, ability to, for that vaccine to be effective. Um, and so right now she's waiting um, as are some of as are other people like um, children under 12, um, like my kids are waiting for enough people in our community to be vaccinated um, to reach that herd immunity to 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 push down the rate of COVID so low, like we have with polio with vaccines that it's very rare that you're exposed to it and most people are immune to it. So we protect those. Um, we have that kind of um, protective wall around those who maybe can't get vaccinated um, or who can't produce um, immunity, even if they are vaccinated. Um, the, um, I also look at the personal loss that I've seen um, working in the hospital and working in our office. Um, I lost four family medicine colleagues. Um, I lost two friends um, and um, uh, longtime friends in our church. Um, I lost about a half a dozen patients and um, numerous patients lost family members. And so I, I saw lots of patients and counseled them through their grief process of losing family members to um, COVID. And as Dr. Zweifler mentioned earlier, we know that um, vaccines are a very effective way in reducing that risk um, of not only reducing that risk of death from COVID, but also preventing the spread um, of the virus to others and preventing the long-term effects of COVID-19. So um, we are continuing to see this long COVID um, syndrome um, and people six months or more out from infection are continuing to have symptoms um, and especially those who were admitted to the ICU or the hospital um, who are continuing to have um, fatigue um, and uh, lung heart damage, um, neurological damage um, from, uh, the, from being infected by COVID. Next slide. So um, 
uh, I want to just go through a, a few of the um, myths um, that uh, or address a few of the myths that I've heard most commonly um, from patients and in, in talking with them. Um, so I think Dr. Zweifler did touch, touch on this uh, and the process of uh, vaccines and how they're um, developed. Um, and so COVID-19 vaccines, they did, um, we were able to create that vaccine rather quickly um, to this particular co coronavirus, but um, about a decade of research went into, um, had been ongoing looking at mRNA vaccines and how to produce those, and also looking at the coronavirus. And so once they were able to sequence this particular coronavirus um, strain, um, then researchers were able to quickly put that particular spike protein into development of the mRNA vaccines, um, which is why we were able to produce um, or to start testing and producing these vaccines. Um, they did not go skip any steps in those phase one, two, three, the animal studies, and then phase one, two, three studies in humans. Um, and then they're reviewed by the FDA. They're reviewed by the ACIP, which is the immunization um, committee for the federal government. Um, and so each of those steps, there was a large review of um, these large studies that they did with the coronavirus vaccines. Um, the, I've also uh, heard people are worried about testing positive for a coronavirus uh, test after they've gotten the vaccine. Um, it does not contain any, any of the coronavirus uh, or active virus. So you cannot um, test positive to a, a COVID-19 test after getting um, the vaccination. There are tests to look at if you have um, antibodies, um, if your immune system developed antibodies to that, va to that vaccine, and that you, you would, um, if your immune system is healthy and you're able to um, create that immunity, um, then you would test positive to that. But for the actual infection of COVID-19, you cannot test positive to those tests. Um, if you've had the COVID-19 infection, you, a lot of, I've heard a lot of people have been told, well, you don't need the vaccine, so, which is not true. Um, there's a difference between natural immunity and the, the immunity that you get from the vaccine. Um, with natural immunity, we don't know exactly how long that lasts, but we do know that people have become reinfected with COVID um, after about three months or 90 days. So it looks like um, for natural immunity, probably about three months is all we get for that um, natural immunity. The other thing with the vaccine is that it does provide better um, spec, better broad spectrum immunity um, so that um, you have better immunity to some of these variants um, that are popping up. And that's where we're, um, like Dr. Zweifler said, at this time, the vaccines are still effective against variants, um, but if, if they become ineffective, they, there is research looking at modifying that spike protein and putting um, more of those variants in there to create better immunity in the future if needed um, to these um, variants that we're seeing. Next slide. 
Oh, and one more point. Um, they, they are looking at how long the vaccine immunity lasts. And um, some recent studies did come out from the original people that were enrolled in the vaccine studies for COVID-19. Um, and the six month um, six months out, um, they had they still had good immunity. Um, probably it lasts longer than that, but we're still waiting for some of that um, research to come out um, from those original um, studies. Um, so COVID-19 um, cannot alter your DNA. Um, it's, it's an mRNA um, vaccine. So mRNA cannot enter into the nucleus of the cell. So if you remember back to biology, um, the sort of brain of the cells um, is that nucleus and that's where the DNA lives. Um, the vaccine works on mRNA, which stays outside of, um, of the nucleus. So it cannot alter um, the DNA and mRNA gets broken down rather quickly. Um, so once you get vaccinated, um, that mRNA spike protein gets degraded um, in about an hours to about a, a, a day or two um, and is out of your system. Um, COVID-19 vaccines um, also do not cause infertility. Um, they, they do not affect any of the reproductive organs um, and they are not able to, because that mRNA gets broken down quickly, um, it's not able to cross the placenta. Um, in pregnant women, it's also um, not able to get into the breast milk. Um, However, it does produce antibodies. So your own natural immune, immune system does recognize that protein in the, in the vaccine and produces antibodies that can cross into cross the placenta and cross into the um, breast milk to help um, your, give your baby those um, antibodies. Um, but it doesn't um, give them any of that virus. It's your, it's your own natural immune system that's creating those antibodies. Um, in some um, faith communities, um, use, using um, animal products, especially pork products, um, is important to avoid. Um, and so some vaccines um, do use a pork gelatin to produce. None of the COVID-19 vaccines use any animal products. Um, and with, especially with the mRNA vaccines, um, this they were able to develop this new technology to rapidly replicate and produce these vaccines um, that don't rely on having, um, that don't rely on using preservatives or animal products like pork gelatin. Um, also no fetal cells were used to make in uh, either the Moderna, Pfizer or J&J vaccines. Um, so, so in certain faith communities, this is important too. Um, and not, none, neither the Moderna, Pfizer or J&J vaccines have any fetal cells um, in the production of them. Next slide. Oh, and that's, those are, um, these are just a few references I have. Um, the first one is the CDC's uh, link to myths and facts about the COVID-19 um, vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, the second one is that JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association um, article that I mentioned. And then the last two were ones that I looked up for um, uh, the, um, 
they're Christian international Christian organizations and World Vision who have um, put a lot of time and effort into addressing concerns in different faith-based organizations throughout the world. Um, and so they're great resources to look at um, from a faith-based um, standpoint. And I will turn it over to Rebecca Herrera now. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us and allowing us to um, present all of this to you. Um, I see some people on here who assisted at some of our vaccine clinics. So thank you. I see Dr. Royman. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about how our vaccine clinics work for the faith-based groups. Um, so the faith-based groups can determine their level of involvement for the vaccine clinics. So with that being said, they can either be done specifically for the congregation, they can, it can be for the congregation and the community. Um, and then it can be also where maybe um, the faith-based group just wants to provide the site and doesn't want any involvement in that. So really the first thing from the faith-based group that we ask is that you determine how involved do you want to be? And then just let us know. Um, the planning team is really great at tailoring each clinic. It's not a one size fits all. Um, we work with everyone to ensure that we provide the event that um, meets everyone's needs. Um, the promotion for the vaccine clinics by the faith-based groups is not a requirement to host a vaccine clinic. So I really, that's one of the things that I want to make clear um, for this whole part of the presentation is we're not asking for the faith-based groups to promote it. If you would like to be involved, we would love that, but it is not um, a requirement. Next slide, please. For those that do wanna be involved, um, the option is to contact myself, I'm Rebecca Herrera or Skylar Sissel, who is one of the planning liaisons who um, works with the faith-based groups. Once we receive um, your email, one of, um, one of us will reach out to you um, to determine what your needs are, what it is that you're looking to do um, with, in hosting the event. Um, for those that do wanna be involved, we can um, create um, surveys that are tailored specifically for whatever it is that you're looking to do, whether it be um, maybe find out if there's interest from your own um, group or um, outside of the community. We can pretty much customize it to ask the questions that you need to determine whether it's you want to actually host the event or if more education is required. Um, once we um, have all the information, we plan a meeting um, and we schedule all parties, um, whoever the contact is for the faith-based group, um, the provider, um, the CBOs who do the community-based outreach, um, and also our PIO team to help promote this event. Next slide, please. So just to summarize here, um, what the role of the faith-based groups are in hosting the vaccine clinics. So mainly it's providing a site for the vaccine clinic, um, assigning a main point of contact for the location. So whether you wanna be, um, you have, want to have a high level of involvement or low level in, involvement, you still need to make contact with someone to allow the providers um, to do a site visit to determine um, where exactly they'll be setting up and um, whether there's any 
um, special requests that need to be made. Um, if you decided to go with the survey, um, then you return the survey to us so that we can see um, what the responses were um, and move forward from there. And then the point of contact has the option to attend the planning meetings. Again, it's not um, a requirement, but this is a great time for you to be able to express any concerns or maybe um, give ideas uh, on the actual event. Um, and then the point of contact also assists the clinical provider um, with scheduling the site visit prior to the event and providing access to the site on the actual day of the vaccine clinic. Next slide, please. So I wanted to kind of let you see some of the events that have happened with some of our providers. So this is one put on uh, by St. Agnes at Sandals Church. And you can see on one side is where they're doing the screenings uh, before going into the building. And then on the other side, you'll see um, sort of the setup for um, the vaccine clinics. On the next slide, you'll see UCSF um, at two of their events. And you can see Dr. Kenny Bond um, there with their mobile unit um, out at two of the temples here in Fresno County. And this is just um, a satellite shot of how UCSF um, does their mapping to determine if it's an outdoor event where they'll um, place the UCSF um, mobile unit. So this can be done as well if, if there's not someone available on, uh, on the property. If you just give us an idea, we can do it through Google Maps. Again, here's my contact information as well as Skylar's. Um, if anyone has any questions that they have now, uh, feel free to ask. Okay. If not, I mean, we're always, if it's something that you don't want to ask on the chat, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm someone who won't ask questions on um, a meeting, so I'm open to calls from you if you have any questions. Thank you so much for your time. Good evening, everyone. This is Sim Dillon with PIO Public Health Communications. Uh, some of you on the call might have already received emails or uh, other messages from uh, the PIO group. Uh, if you're part of the faith-based uh, community calls that we conduct weekly or bi-weekly, uh, you might recognize the name or uh, some of the content that we're going to discuss. Uh, but just to briefly go over it, uh, the public health communications team, uh, pretty much our role uh, in, at the department is to get communication uh, back and forth to the community. Uh, we, we send out flyers, uh, we create flyers, we, we coordinate with the vaccine planning team to make sure the community is aware of the events taking place. Uh, and a lot of the flyers that you might see out in the community as well, uh, billboards, uh, any of the media stuff uh, such as campaigns or digital campaigns, um, we're all involved in that. So just the general websites um, over the course of the year, um, early on into COVID, we developed a, a webpage kind of established as our COVID-19 webpage. Uh, on this was a lot of the content um, early on. It was a lot of the resources. Uh, as the year progressed, more and more information became available. Uh, the single webpage turned into multiple web pages, which turned into a mini website uh, for our department. 
So the main uh, links that a lot of the individuals in our community visit is COVID-19 facts. I, I highlighted a couple of the key ones. Um, so a lot of these web pages get traffic along the lines of 500 to a million uh, individuals visiting this within a month uh, to a two month period. Um, so these, they do draw a significant amount of traffic. Uh, on this call, I just kind of wanted to highlight and walk through the basic pages just to make sure individuals are getting to the places they need. So anytime you visit any of our county department pages, uh, typically they'll have a banner across the top. So what we did with uh, all county departments uh, was to work on a link at the very top of the page and a link on the banner. Um, so if you type in uh, Fresno County Public Health or Public Health Fresno uh, into Google, typically it'll land you on one of the county pages. And on all of our county pages, we typically either have a banner or a link associated with COVID-19 web pages. Um, so this page that you're look, currently looking at is the COVID uh, or is our Department of Public Health page, but the first banner that you see at the very top is COVID-19. So if you were to click there, that's going to take you directly to all of the COVID-related content pages that our department has. So if you were to click on that banner, it lands you on our COVID, uh, pretty much our mini site uh, for COVID. Uh, so across the top, uh, you'll see a lot of the, the, the relevant information, COVID-19 vaccines, uh, finding a testing center, uh, click here for the health officer orders and so forth. Uh, we have several buttons right there. Usually they're the, the most uh, prominent um, interest level topics um, that individuals have. So we have them right across the top. Uh, even on the right hand side, there's flyers. Typically anything that we develop that's new uh, will be right near the top. So there's actually a table there to the right, uh, which highlights and has different key information and bullet points on the different vaccines available. So just walking through the webpage, if you were to scroll down or after reading it, uh, you want information on vaccines, uh, whether it's just information on the vaccine or to actually register uh, an individual and so forth. Uh, you could just, let's say you click on the COVID-19 vaccine um, button, you pretty much end up on uh, our our page, which highlights the different uh, information on the vaccine itself, uh, how to register. Uh, there's links onto my turn. It will highlight all the different uh, events taking place in the community, including links to my turn. Um, so just a simple way to navigate uh, the website. Uh, furthermore, we do have links uh, to vaccine accessibility. So sometimes individuals go to uh, our website and their, their question is, how do I find the nearest one without just scrolling through all the information that you have? Um, so we have links to the, the vaccine finder uh, as well. So you punch in uh, your zip code. So the map that you're seeing up on the screen right now is uh, a map displaying all of the nearest uh, vaccine availability sites for the 93721. So those that are unfamiliar, I pretty much punched in uh, the downtown zip code and it gave me all of those different locations uh, where vaccine is available. That includes uh, your local pharmacies and any mass vax clinic locations as well. And furthermore, some of the educational material that's available on the website, um, we primarily focused on three or four languages, English, Spanish, Hmong, and Punjabi, uh, but we didn't leave others out. Uh, we partnered up with our community-based organizations 
um, to kind of ask for their assistance to get informational uh, material developed and passed out in the community. This includes information in Mixteco and other languages as well. And here are a few of the different campaigns that we have current run, currently running. Um, so just from the top down, uh, you'll see uh, literally banners, you'll see posters out in the community, uh, billboards. Um, there's an image of Dr. Bora at a local uh, convenience store. Um, there's, a, there's a campaign uh, featuring uh, Pastor Kreiner, who's going to speak in a brief moment. Uh, and then we have like fun infographic type videos where it's like myths and myth buster videos and so forth. Uh, so you see the zombie, uh, the zombie image on there as well. Uh, so just kind of getting word and message out to the community, um, some of the, the myths and misconceptions they may have had. And then furthermore, uh, we're actually working out in the community as well. Um, so you'll see us at tabling events. Um, there's an image of Dr. Uh, Solis actually doing a, a forum for agricultural workers as well. And then furthermore, we have different campaigns running as well. So we partnered up uh, with different agencies, but we work with JP Marketing, uh, who is basically a marketing firm that works very closely with us and contracted uh, through us. Uh, but some of the campaigns they've developed with us includes uh, working with Fresno Madera Medical Society, uh, creating influencer videos, radio, television, YouTube, Facebook, social media ads, um, digital graphics as well. Um, we recently did a campaign or, or actually a campaign event with Univision uh, this past weekend out at Fairgrounds. Um, so that one was uh, pretty much promoted out to the community as a whole. Um, but we've focused our efforts on, on a lot of those types of events. And then that is the gist of the PIO, but if you do have any questions, please let us know and we'll share these PowerPoint slides as well. Uh, but for now, I'll uh, pass it back to Stacy. Thank you, Sam. Uh, I'd like to actually introduce uh, Dr. Marina Reutman at the moment. Uh, Dr. Reutman is a member of the FMMS Board of Governors. She is a professor of clinical medicine at UCSF and liver program director at UCSF Fresno. Dr. Reutemann has served not only on the front lines at the hospital, but has volunteered countless hours uh, of the little free time that she has to administer vaccines. Uh, we have invited Dr. Reutemann to share with you what COVID-19 looks like from the front lines. So Dr. Reutemann. Thank you so much, Stacey, for this kind of introduction and thank you everyone for joining us. Um, so, uh, um, the reason I wanted to talk to you is that in the beginning of the pandemic, hospitals closed their doors. And uh, uh, the vast majority of patients, unless they ended up in the hospital for a specific reason, do not really know what, um, how did the situation look in the hospital and uh, what the patients, the doctors and the nurses and all the support staff um, went through over this last year and a half. So I want to give you a little bit of a window into that. So um, here in Fresno, when the first wave of COVID hit, um, nothing really exciting happened. We had a few patients, uh, uh, some of them were in the ICU, some of them were in the hospital. We had a lot of doctors, uh, a lot of staff, and we took amazing care of those patients. 
So we thought we were the best. You know, our mortality rate was very low. We were doing great. Um, and um, we really thought um, this was going to be just fine. Now, the second wave uh, that happened in the summer, uh, certainly we were a lot busier. There were a lot more patients. Uh, they were a lot sicker. Um, and uh, the resources were beginning to get strained. Where it got really, really, really difficult, and the most difficult time that I've had in my career was uh, uh, pretty much um, from a little before Thanksgiving um, and uh, all the way through the remainder um, of the winter. At that time, we saw massive influx of patients into the hospital, into the ICU, into the emergency room. Um, and uh, uh, at some point we had uh, over 500 active COVID cases in the hospital. You may ask, um, how did you guys have 500 cases in the hospital when your hospital bed capacity is roughly about 500? Well, I have an answer for you. We had tents. We were, there were we had so many patients that we had to set up uh, tents outside of the hospital there were military-style tents, um, eight patients per tent. There were tent hallways in between the tents, and there were porta potties for patients uh, to use the bathroom. So I have never seen anything like that in my entire career, and I certainly hope to never see that again. Uh, we were constantly running out of the ICU beds. Uh, all surgeries, uh, all non-emergent surgeries were canceled in the hospital, and all the areas that were previously there to serve the operating room, like pre-operative area, post-operative area, all those areas uh, were turned um, into the ICU um, beds or hospital wards. Um, what has become really, um, uh, what, what made the situation um, even worse is that we began running out of staff. It had, uh, COVID-19 had a tremendous effect um, on staff. The staff was getting sick. And uh, as the time went on, we learned more and more uh, how we can best protect um, the people. And people were wearing their PPEs, we were wearing masks and, and 95 masks and gowns and gloves and everything. But then people would uh, let their guard out and take their protective equipment off you know, in their break room to have lunch, to socialize with other people because we are only human. And uh, the outbreaks in the hospital really led to the hospital shortage. So that was probably the darkest time, um, I would say uh, um, early to mid-December. Uh, we were out of staff, we were out of patient, out of supplies, out of the places to put the patients. Um, now I'm a hepatologist which means uh, I take care of patients with uh, chronic liver disease. A lot of my patients have liver cirrhosis. And uh, really the goal, um, uh, kind of one of um, the biggest goals that I have in my practice is to get the patient successfully to the liver transplant, right? This is, it takes a lot of work, both um, on my part, on the part of my staff, and on the part of the patients and the family. There's lots and lots of things that we have to coordinate uh, to make the patient the best candidate they, they can be uh, for the transplant. So the prize uh, in my world is uh, getting the patients uh, listed 
or getting them included on the transplant list so they will be ready to go uh, when the organ becomes available for me. I lost um, several patients who were on the transplant list um, in December of last year to COVID-19. Um, these were the patients that had uh, fulfilled all the requirements. They jumped through all the hoops. Um, their families spent countless um, hours, days, and months uh, trying to help them to get on that list. And then they died from COVID. They died from COVID in an overcrowded hospital. They died from COVID without being able to see their family. They really died with the only face that was familiar to them. It was my face, and that was partially covered by the mask. So that was uh, definitely the darkest time in the COVID pandemic uh, for me. And then uh, the vaccinations came and uh, um, the vaccinations opened uh, were to the healthcare providers uh, right before Christmas. And the first day that we were able to get vaccinated, um, really it was a party. People were so excited and so grateful to finally be um, receiving this vaccine. Um, relatively shortly, what was, what was remarkable is uh, shortly after we began vaccinating the, the staff, um, the impact on the staff of COVID-19 began to lessen. So we saw less and less people who were out sick with COVID-19 and more and more people were coming back to be able to care for our patients who needed it. Um, ultimately, the vaccinations opened up to our older patients and um, the, uh, the Fresno Fair site, may, most of you are familiar with, uh, has become really the center of um, uh, vaccine administration. So to me, it was really a no brainer uh, to spend my Saturdays uh, at the vaccination site. Um, if um, I was really quick, um, I could give somewhere between 80 um, and 120 vaccines uh, over um, an eight hour period. This was amazing because this were 80 to 120 patients that weren't gonna end up in my hospital. These were people that we were uh, already saving, already protecting from getting infected. So that was really remarkable. I think at the height of it, we were administering, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, over 250, uh, over 2,500 vaccines uh, uh, on a Saturday. Um, so that went on for a while, and uh, that definitely brought the infection rate um, in our community way down. And then the demand dried up abruptly. From one Saturday to the next, we administered uh, 2,500 um, shots on one Saturday. The next Saturday, when I came to volunteer, we only had, I think, four or 500 patients signed up for the whole day. So that was really, um, it was really sad for me to see because we still had uh, infections in the hospital. We still had an overcrowding in our hospital, but the vaccine, the demand for vaccine was uh, uh, drying up. So um, really um, at this point, certainly the rates of infection in our community have decreased significantly, but we still see patients in the emergency room. We still have active COVID cases in the ICU. We still have patients dying from COVID-19 However, fortunately, not at the same numbers that we saw in December and January. But what is remarkable now is all the patients that are getting seriously infected and all the patients that are dying are those that are non-vaccinated. 
So I really hope that together uh, we can uh, continue to work um, on our community to get as many patients vaccinated as possible and uh, to prevent um, really the devastation that I saw firsthand um, in December of uh, uh, 2020. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Reitman. Uh, so now um, we've kind of shared all of the expertise from our, our physicians and from public health. And we are going to um, start with Dr. or excuse me, used to saying doctor. Um, we're going to start with Pastor Kreiner and have a little segue into uh, you as religious leaders sharing information with us. Um, so Pastor Kreiner is the senior pastor at St. Rest Baptist Church and an adjunct professor at Fresno Pacific University. Pastor Kreiner was one of the very first people to answer our call for community leaders uh, to help educate the general population uh, as the information about the COVID-19 vaccine was just starting to roll out. Um, he was on board even before the first physicians started getting their vaccines. Um, he participated in the educational campaign. He offered his services in any way we needed. So we welcome Pastor Kreiner to share with us what he sees as the role of religious leaders in Fresno during the pandemic. And then we invite all of you to um, have that conversation with us, share with us how we can help you, what additional information you need, what resources you need. And we invite you to share the feedback that you're receiving from your congregations. So we'll, we'll start with Pastor Kreiner, uh, and then we'll move on to a, a full discussion from there. So good evening, everybody. Uh, it is so good to see everyone. Uh, Stacey, you know, uh, I, I'm grateful for your introduction. Um, I don't know who you're talking about, but I'm so grateful that you introduced me with such elegance. I appreciate you, sister. Um, the only thing I do have a problem with is calling me doctor, because that means I have to go back to school study some more and it's too hot outside to go in the classroom so sister i'm okay with just being a pastor but i thank you for uh trying to give me another title i'm far from dr allen i'll never be on his level at all uh, but again it is an honor to be with you all tonight and to be with this awesome organization that in my personal opinion has been one of the saving graces to our county right to Fresno and to Madeira and how to supply and add and grab and give the dual information that is necessary for us as faith leaders, as servants of God that has congregations and communities that rely on us, uh, not just for information, but for trusted information. And sometimes that's tough, right? And I remember when the pandemic hit and I remember um, that April a 15th shutdown of the city of Fresno and how people were just in a panic and what to do from then on out, whether it was the closure of our Sunday morning worships on the inside or whether it was the push to try to get individuals tested and then the leading to the push of the vaccination, which almost seemed in some communities, especially disenfranchised communities, that it was a play on the Tuskegee experiment or it was an idea of those that have information, not giving that information to those that folks feel as if do not have the knowledge to retain and understand that information. 
And that was the important factor that got that grabbed us into making sure that we connected firsthand with individuals that knew more than us, that had a better hand on it, that understood what the vaccination was all about. And our job was to be a bridge that connects the professionals with the community and then how to gather and, and, and grab trust with our community. I, I must say, uh, Stacey, I must say, Rebecca, I have to be honest, if it wasn't for men of our community pastors that were pushing me to do so, I wouldn't have uh, felt that I was in, I had the status or statute, the status to step out on the front line. Uh, that was the Pastor Binions, the Pastor B.T. Lewis's that said, we have a crucial role that we play in our community. We are more than just a religious institution or a faith institution that sits inside of a heart of a community. But in retrospect, we're actually the heartbeat. So what good is it to have a heart that is in the community that refuses to beat to the different organisms that are a part of that community so that those organisms can continue to exist? And that's what the vaccination was for us because our communities, many of them, lack the proper Wi-Fi access, lack the transportation, and also lack the means of receiving quality information from professional physicians and from those trusted organizations. We had to, it wasn't that we need, it was a, we had to, we needed to step out and to show that without faith, there is no way that we can continue to exist in this pandemic and coming out of it. That's the reason why we hopped aboard. That's the reason why I put my neck out there because I was called to do so. I had men that were telling me this is important. Pastor Lewis, Pastor Benny, and Pastor Wilson, our mayor was calling on us as leaders of our community who believed in God to also believe in the men and women that were creating opportunities for people to get vaccinated. That's the role of the church, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's a temple, a mosque, whether it's a cathedral, whether it's a priest, a pastor, a rabbi, a imam, whoever we are, it is our responsibility because individuals of our community cannot see God face to face, but they can see us. And it's not our job to be God, but it is our job to be change agents or voices and servants of God. We all know that this pandemic that we were in was unprecedented. It's something that we have never seen before. And I believe one of our doctors said, our prayer is that we'll never have to experience something like that again. And it was stressful for so many leaders of churches because we were not able to be with our families. We were not able to visit folks in the hospital. I mean, the reality of having worship service on a Sunday or for my Jewish brothers and sisters and my, my Islamic brothers and sisters on a Friday, Passover happened last year. And it was, an un, it was a very unfortunate reality that we were not going to be together in our synagogues and our cathedrals and our temples and in our sanctuaries. So the opportunity came that there's a possibility that this vaccination would allow us to come back together. And it is our job as faith leaders to step out on faith, not to convince people to do something, 
but to lead by example, right? So that they can see us doing it. The experience was hard, but it was necessary. And I'm grateful that I'm a part of a church family, St. Rest, that allowed me to lead them through this period and it became a ripple effect. My prayer is that on tonight, that we ask the questions that are necessary not to be a duplicate copy of what we did January, February, not to do another commercial or to have our name lifted, but to do what we can to make sure that we answer the questions that are being asked to us so that we can give accurate information and we can host vaccination sites. We can be able to be change agents and information agents to our communities and our churches and families because there is still a large percentage of individuals in our communities that are misinformed, that are ignorant to the fact of the reality of what the vaccination does and are still stonewalling and refusing to go and get vaccinated. So we all know our state is open and it's irresponsible of us not to be a voice to provide change so that we do not have to go backwards, but we move forward. So Stacy, I pray that I did what you asked me to do. I'm a preacher, a black preacher, so I can stay all day, but I'm trying to be ethical and kind because I haven't ate, din haven't ate dinner yet. So I'm trying to rush off. But if you need me to say something else, I'll do a quick sermon and I'll close. Well, I think we could probably all listen to you all day as well. <laughs> um, I do really, really appreciate your perspective and your willingness to participate. Um, I would very much like to open this up to our, um, to our entire audience at this point, uh, whether you have questions or comments um, and would like to share information with us um, as to how we can help better serve your congregations. Uh, what information you need, what services you need, or if you just want to share comments. So, you know, please unmute your mics. Um, we'd love for you to turn on your video as well so that we can see your faces. And um, let's have a discussion. I don't have a question, but I do usually join the calls that are on Thursday afternoon. So I just want to say thank you. Um, for making it available. I've always had emails answered very quickly. Um, and I agree when he was saying one of the best resources we have is you all. And that's been true for me. Um, anytime anyone asks me a question, I'm like, I don't know, but I know I'll get an answer. I know someone will respond. So thanks for all that you're doing, even this tonight. It's been really helpful to know that there's answers um, to some questions that we have. Well, thank you very much. Um, I, I will say our doctors and public health do a fantastic job, as do all of you. Um, so is there anything additional that you, you need from, from public health or, or from physicians or information from your congregations that, that you would like to share? I know you all can talk <laughs> very eloquently. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to chime in and uh, thank all the participants and uh, and particularly Pastor Kroner, because that's that's what it's about is uh, to having uh, faith leaders who are willing to 
to speak up and say, yes, this is important. This is something that all of us uh, should be considering and uh, opening up that door uh, and hopefully some minds as well. Uh, you know, as a from a science uh, from a scientist perspective, to me, it seems so clear that this is what we should be doing. So, but there's other kind of uh, factors that are that are involved, and that's where you need uh, trusted trusted leaders uh, such as Pastor Kreiner uh, to say yes. You know, this is something that you should that you should be thinking about. You open your hearts and minds uh, to that. And uh, to me, it's it's a tragedy uh, that uh, there are segments of our population that have not gotten vaccinated, and where. Uh, the there's um, uh, uh, members who are at risk and who are going to get sick and who are going to who are going to die as a result and uh, and when 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 it, it can and, and should be prevented. So um, you know for us it's uh, at the Fresno County Department of Public Health it's our job. Um, Marina Roy, uh, Dr. Reutman, you know she's volunteering her time. Pastor Kreiner is volunteering his time. Uh, Stacy, thank you so much. Uh, um, and uh, we just appreciate this opportunity to to, to get. Get, get the word out and um, whatever we can do from here to, uh, uh, to, to reach out further or to respond to issues that come up, uh, you know, we're, we're, we, we wanna do that. I had a question, uh, Dr. Zweifer, uh, Don Gady here. I'm president of our medical society. I have uh, some of my patients uh, talk about, you know, you mentioned some of the side effects for the vaccines and it, it is true, there are some rare side effects, but. Uh, just putting that into um, context of the side effects from uh, getting COVID-19, do you happen to have any, um, off the top of your head, any, any um, statistics in terms of uh, what, what's the, the, the risk if you get COVID-19 versus the, the risk of, of getting the vaccine? Yeah, well, I, I, the biggest one is, uh, so in the United States, we've had about 600,000 people die. Uh, so uh, the, the myocarditis uh, one that we've talked about, I'm not aware of any deaths related. The, um, the thrombosis and thrombocytopenia or the blood clots uh, related to the, uh, uh, the, the Johnson & Johnson, uh, they're in the range of uh, 30 cases and I think around 12, 12 deaths. Uh, and uh, you know, I think there's still work that what the uh, CDC has said is that they believe there's a causal link between the, the complications uh, and the vaccine, but they haven't gone as far as to say that the deaths themselves are related uh, uh, to that. Uh, but so you have those, uh, uh, a handful of deaths versus the 600,000 uh, who, who have died already. And, uh, and unfortunately, this is not over. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, I think we've made such incredible progress and there's such a direct connection with the, the vaccine. I, I think particularly of our skilled nursing facilities, uh, and a, to me, it's sort of ironic that, you know, the folks who are the, the highest risk are the, our senior citizens. Uh, and there we're seeing vaccine rates of 80 percent or, or higher. Uh, uh, and but then the younger folks who should be caring for their grandparents are getting vaccinated at much lower rates. You know, they, they, they're putting their they're, they're putting their their parents and grandparents uh, at risk. And I know that's not uh, done in a in a malicious way, but that is the, that uh, that's that's the reality of of. Uh, uh, of, of not being uh, vaccinated. Uh, uh, so the, uh, the vaccine, uh, again, has been uh, um, no specific contraindications, uh, but I would just hold that up. The 600,000 uh, versus maybe the 12 uh, deaths, I think is probably the most uh, uh, dramatic um, uh, example that we have. And others, uh, the hospitalization rates, I think are also just, uh, 
uh, we're waiting to get some, some more final data, but preliminary data is indicating that, uh, I was reading from Cleveland Clinic, 98 to 99% of people who are hospitalized now are unvaccinated. Uh, uh, so again, just, uh, and, and you think, and, and so as that compares to when you've got about half the population vaccinated. So it's happening about 50 times more frequently uh, than you would expect to be attended up in the hospital. So uh, to me, the end, and, and for folks who get COVID, uh, they can get those blood clots, they can get uh, hemorrhagic strokes, uh, they can get myocarditis uh, uh, and are at, at a higher risk uh, just as virtue of having COVID. Uh, so I, again, I think the argument is very strong. There is a real concern though, that the longer this goes on, that the, that the, the, the virus will continue to mutate uh, and will be facing a, a virus that we're not able to control with the vaccine. And then, and then it is, it's uh, back to square one in, in, some, uh, in some respects. And uh, you're seeing that in countries around the world that are not as vaccinated as, uh, as we are. Great, thanks so much for that. So do we have any um, religious leaders on the call tonight that are considering maybe having a vaccine clinic um, at your church campus? And um, if you are, or if you're not, would you mind sharing some information as to, uh, if you're not, maybe some reasons why you don't want to, um, or if you are, any concerns that you might have about the logistics of it? So Rebecca, is there any minimum to um, to have the clinic come out and set up? DC, there's no minimum. We're open to one or hopefully a hundred. Whatever um, we're able to achieve, um, we're we're open to it. And something that I just want to say, outside of just being a nurse, and you know, this is I, I feel strongly about the vaccine. I think we've seen the numbers change, just like Dr. Reutemann said, but. Um, also, you know, when asking yourselves why we're on this call and, and why your group is so important, um, consider how for some of us, you know, I'm a woman of faith. So for me, um, being able to attend uh, mass with, um, you know, my church, it means a lot to me. And as a healthcare provider, this last year has been very stressful and not being able to, you know, meet with my um, place of worship and, you know, hold hands and do everything that we're used to, um, that has been difficult. And so I know it seems like we've made a lot of progress and, and we're so grateful for that, but I think there's still more to be done and not give up and to um, be able to continue, you know, California opened again, so grateful for that, but we want to keep it like that. Um, Dr. Zweifler um, spoke about the variants. And so it's just every little bit that we do together, you know, as a faith-based group together with the health department and some of the providers on here, that's all gonna make a difference and allow us to continue um, towards progress and um, really staying open. And um, just remember that you're, you're so important to us. Uh, you're just, as important as the healthcare um, providers that are on here because mental health is important. And a lot of the people in your groups um, do consider meeting um, with the church important. So 
hopefully, you know, some of you will reach out to me and um, I can answer some of your questions or any concerns that you have about hosting an actual um, clinic on site. Um, I, I look forward to hearing from some of you. Thanks. You mentioned uh, faith-based groups. I'll just mention that um, Dr. Francis Collins is uh, head of the National Institutes of Health. Uh, and uh, he's also a committed uh, Christian, I think an evangelical Christian. He's, he's come out very much in favor of uh, COVID-19 vaccination. Dr. I'm just reading this here that uh, he says, Christians need to wake up to um, the realities of uh, coronavirus. And so um, uh, I, I would encourage Christian, Christians to, to uh, Google uh, Francis Collins and see what he says about getting the uh, COVID-19 vaccination. It's like Shelly has her hand up. Hi. Hi I'm Shelly Spencer. I attend uh, and work at Butler Church in Southeast Fresno by Fresno Pacific University. And um, we're interested in continuing to explore the option of having a clinic at our church. We were starting to look into that before, but kind of it was a challenge to know like, well, how many people are interested in coming to a clinic? And, you know, we're saying, well, we'll host a site, bring the people. And so it was kind of a chicken and egg kind of challenge. Um, but uh, not knowing exactly what the vaccination rates are in our immediate community, we're definitely open to being a host site. That's well, thank great you. to hear. Yeah, I'm not sure if we've connected with Shelly, but feel free to reach out to me directly and um, we can make it happen. We, you and I can kind of go over what the level of involvement is and um, we'll connect you with a clinical provider. And we would be very interested in knowing how that goes and um, you know, getting feedback once you've, once you've held a clinic. Um, we'd love to share that with, um, you know, with other organizations and, and just keep that conversation going so that um, it's not so much of an unknown. I'll just say too, I appreciate seeing Dr. Robin on here and all of your um, updates. She's been sharing, you know, following weekly meetings on Facebook. And it's just been really great to have, you know, someone who I know besides just the news, you know, who's sharing news. So I think that's one way that um, really solid information is spread too. And it helps us get a sense of, you know, where things are at in our immediate community. I know that the county has been doing the same on social media, but I think that just like you've been saying, everybody who's a trusted, you know, leader in um, our churches and in our medical um, offices, it just makes a difference when everybody's speaking out. And so I appreciate it. Thank you, you know, Shelly. She's also my neighbor. Um, but um, I, I should have mentioned that too. I mean, I do make those Facebook posts um, public. Um, and so if you just, if you're on Facebook, Google my name. Um, it's under Robin Lynchide, and um, you'd be able to um, access um, those. And I, they're they're kind of a brief summary too of what Department of Public Health um, uh, puts out each week for our providers too. And Sim went over the website, and included in that website is some amazing uh, entries for social media. Um, you can go onto the website. Uh, modify them to you brand them for your own use 
and you put them out there. Uh, Public Health has done a great job of including that kind of information. Um, There are videos. uh, We will be sending out a follow-up email to everyone that will include links to an animated video that um, Sim talked about, I believe it was Sim that talked about. uh, We did Public Health and and, uh, Fresno Madera Medical Society. Uh, There are uh, videos in four different languages, all kinds of facts and myths. individual posts, uh, we would, you know, we would love for you to go on, explore them and, um, and utilize them. They're a great resource. Are there any other resources that would be particularly helpful? Um, do you need like wording for church bulletins or, um, you know, specific types of videos that uh, would help you communicate with your congregations? that you'd like to share with us now. <laughs> Fair enough, no obligation to, uh, to communicate. Um, yeah, we are recording. Some people don't want to uh, be included in the recording. Um, and if you do have questions or suggestions, we are more than open to hearing them. And we welcome you to reach out to either public health or the medical society, um, or one of the physicians on the call, and we'll get the information that you need. We will work with you the best we can to provide whatever resources are most in need. Um, Just feel free to reach out to any of us. We do greatly appreciate everyone's time this evening uh, for all of those presenting um, very detailed information that was extremely helpful. Uh, And to those of you who did uh, uh, communicate back, um, thank you. And uh, if nobody else has any other questions, I think we'll wrap this up and uh, we will send out the uh, follow-up email. Please watch for that. And we'll have lots of links for you. We'll have all of the uh, links referenced in um, the presentations this evening uh, and resources available for you. Thank you, Stacy. Thank, Thank you, Fresno Madera Medical Society. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank good you. night. Thank you, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too.